0: Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. The following episode is part of our Coronavirus Impact Series. For more interviews, videos, and news about the outbreak and its global consequences, visit us at ncuscr.com dot.org/slash/coronavirus. What types of civic engagement have occurred in China since the start of the coronavirus?
1: So let me uh, briefly define civic engagement. So I usually understand civic engagement as citizens' participation in public activities that are aimed to improve some aspects of the society to promote the public good of the society. So this includes a variety of the types of civic engagement, from volunteering to collecting donations or making donations, and to public debates and activism, all of which are aimed to solve some problems uh, reviewed in a big crisis or events, such as this one, the coronavirus event. So let, let's um, talk about volunteering first. So in the wake of this outbreak, Chinese citizens in and outside of China quickly began to donate money through online crowdfunding and some more traditional forms of volunteering. For example, I saw in Weixing very early, just immediately after the outbreak, that private car owners organized themselves to help doctors and nurses commute because buses all stop. And one of the groups I observed uh, even had about 4,000 car owners. So this kind of a traditional volunteering, face-to-face volunteering stopped after Wuhan prohibited uh, private cars from driving. But in other places, uh, this volunteering never stopped. For example, people organized themselves into groups, were organized by homeowners and committees or homeowner associations to do grocery shopping together and the receive and distribute online shopping deliveries at the residential area, sometimes um, became becoming uh, vigilante at the checkpoints um, to check people's um, temperature and receive you know, um, packages and so on and so forth. All these forms are what I call the compassion despite politics, despite all the draconian quarantine surveillance and the political controversies they're still warm on the currents of mutual helping and engagement in public activities. Another form of civic engagement is engaging in public debates. People are also actively engaged in public debates over various issues, such as the debate over the government's lack of transparency, um, you know, slow response, and the Red Cross scandal, so this form of engagement is politics of compassion, which is not compassion despite politics. In other words, the expression of a compassion through open debates within the public sphere and also with some political implications. And this kind of debate is certainly affected by the political structure and particularly um, the censorship from the government. One particularly important moment about this kind of a public debate was the death of Dr. Li Wenliang, one of the early whistleblowers. We have seen a huge sudden wave of expression of sorrow, anger, online and offline. Some people actually did the offline mourning. They went to the hospital where the doctor actually used to work and used the whistles, the actual whistles, blowing the whistle to pay tribute to the doctor and to express that if you cover up the truth and the consequences will be very tragic and also uh, devastating. But most people actually forwarded his pictures and make memes online, and vehemently criticized the Chinese government's lack of transparency and slow response and the effort to cover up the information about the virus. When the whole country, especially um, people in Wuhan, were astonished by the quick deterioration of the situation in terms of death tolls and also people suffering on the ground. So the main ideas expressed in this morning, included to demand freedom of speech and the high expectation for the uh, government's responsive governance and and also their further uh, proper response to the disaster. So far, I don't think I have systematic evidence to talk about this issue, but I saw from social media and traditional media several interesting ways of civic engagement.
0: Since it's natural for me to ask now, what role has Chinese social media played in civic engagement?
1: I believe that WeChat and Weibo, because people are under quarantine, so there's no way for you to do face-to-face interactions, now become the major ways of interaction. If you open a WeChat now, it's not just the you know communication or posting online. It has a lot of things integrated into this app. You can buy things online, you can make payments, you can organize a lot of things. So with this app with a cell phone, that actually facilitated interactions and the civic engagement to some extent, such as buying groceries together for the whole building. Some volunteers I observed online, they do psychology, they have already had a psychological training. So they offer online counseling and also people organize donations online and through crowdfunding, and also transmitting information about the demands from hospitals, from doctors, even individual doctors and nurses. But there were some interesting new ways of engagement. An online wishing account by Nanjing University School of Journalism and Media, Um, this account asked their students, the undergraduate students mostly, to play the role of citizen journalism, to observe the local situations in their hometowns, where during the winter break, they saw a lot of things and interviewed people and then recorded them and then wrote articles and to share online through this account. So today I saw this is a number 62 episode of this account. So this kind of action was very much in line with their major, which is journalism, and also a wonderful opportunity for the young uh, students to step outside of uh, their bubbles and to know the society, to learn the people's experience on the quarantine, and to practice their professional skills. Another interesting form of engagement was just by one person. This person is a writer whose name is Fang Fang. She was a very famous writer even before the virus, a Wuhan local person. And she kept her diaries online, which were widely spread and discussed, um, so she basically talked about her experience on the quarantine and fairly honestly air her grievances about the local situation, sometimes criticized the government. The censorship uh, tried to block her account, uh, deleted her posts, but you saw that the posts actually emerged elsewhere. Think about, you know, 1.4 billion people online. So the volume of information is huge and which actually overwhelms the state censorship. So you saw 10 minutes after a post was deleted it merged again, and that actually challenged the state's control and also facilitated some of the public debates. So now if you are wishing, you hear a lot of critical voices are still ongoing despite all the censorship effort by the government.
0: Who, and I know you already mentioned a lot of this, but could you talk a little bit about who organized these activities? Was it coming from the central government, provincial government, NGOs, grassroots individuals, or a combination of all of this?
1: Yeah, I would say a combination of all of these. Um, one of the mistakes that people often made when they observe China, uh, to, when they talk about civic engagement, is that they often ignore the fact that most of the civic engagement was actually uh, organized by governments or so-called gongos. Governments organized non-governmental organizations, which is oxymoron, which is in reality that was true and widespread, such as the Red Cross and the China Charity Foundation and things like that. Despite all the controversies, they actually played a very important role uh, in organizing civic engagement. For example, most nurses and doctors are mobilized by state-owned hospitals by um, the governments directly. And most local residents um, at the checkpoints of the residential areas were mobilized by street administrations and also the local branch of the government. And most local residents um, who were doing all kinds of civic engagement were also organized by the staff members in the street uh, administration. But this kind of uh, state organized civic engagement was mostly top down and taking orders from a higher level of government. To be fair, it made the state response more rapid. Uh, I don't think any country could implement this kind of China-style quarantine without help from the huge army of volunteers mobilized by the state. And I also think the boundaries between the volunteers, um, the ordinary people, and the staff, the paid staff in street administrations got really blurred or more theoretically, the boundaries between the state and the society got blurred. So many, for example, many staff members also after work, they did actual work um, to help the community. But there's a problem, and many problems, with the state mobilized engagement, uh, which were also obvious in this event, that it was the top-down model rather than spontaneous reactions from the grassroots society, where citizens know what they want and know what they want to do. Um, sometimes this kind of engagement intervened in the local communities on so much that it somewhat suff- suffocated um, creativity and spontaneity from people. And also more importantly, it may make some issues of the gongos, such as the red costs, even worse, such as the corruption and the lack of transparency and all these issues. So it helped the gongos, but made some of the issues uh, even worse in the... Uh, in real-world practices. And I I think the civic engagement organized by NGOs are more common, uh, more understandable for the outside observers. But this time, it was relatively weaker, but I still don't have a definitive explanation for this relatively weaker performance. Maybe it was because the feature of the disaster, which was an epidemic, and which prevented the people from doing uh, face-to-face interactions and collective actions. Maybe related to the epidemic feature and the state's monitoring and the quarantine are so pervasive and strict that NGOs are less able to act on the ground. Um, there are also, I mentioned Fun Fun, so individuals who are basically just one woman NGO. And also you have grassroots, um, groups based on Weixing chat groups and Weibo and very, very um, uh, sort of a social media based online uh, ways of communication. And they talked about um, their experience in Wuhan and elsewhere. Now I know that many people are writing their diaries, writing their uh, Weibo and Weixing posts, So I would say it will be a very valuable sources for later researchers and historians to look at the people's uh, experience under quarantine and how they think about all the issues and all kinds of things. It will be great resources for, uh, for many researchers. Do
0: you think that the public involvement in this response is different from that of previous disasters namely the Sichuan <clears throat> earthquake? And is that just because of the the tools and the platforms being different? Or is it because of the nature of the disaster being a, an epidemic rather than a natural disaster? Or has something else changed in the relationship between the public or society and government?
1: Yeah, I think all of them. Um, all the factors will contribute to the difference. Let, let me talk about Sichuan earthquake, which is the one that... Uh, I'm most familiar with. So I want to say the scale of civic engagement after the outbreak was certainly not as large as the one after Sichuan outbreak. When back then millions of people went to Sichuan and elsewhere to help. Uh, so this time we don't see this huge uh, wave of convergence in Wuhan. Uh, again this can be explained by the feature of the disaster being an academic, uh, epidemic and people tried to avoid contacts and interactions. And also at the local level, as I mentioned, the top-down total control and the quarantine also prevented associations and small groups from playing a bigger role. And the response was basically dominated by the government, leaving very limited room for spontaneous action. But it also can be explained by some long-term trends since 2013, when uh, President Xi Jinping came into power. Um, So uh, I would say civil society scholars now all agree that the constraints on civil society since 2013 is getting stronger and stronger, Um, particularly uh, the restrictions over NGOs funding sources and institutional controls through the party, not just through the government, but through the party, because the party tried to build Um, branches in NGOs, which is a big step forward in terms of the control. And also the civic associations do not have enough social and financial room to develop its own capacity to deal with such a big disaster. Not just the number of the NGOs or the money they can collect, but also the specialization. So in this response, I don't see a lot of uh, NGOs with professional specialization in medical in emergency in public health to respond. I would say this is mainly, this can be explained by some of the, um, you know, the lack of specialization training and professionalization due to the limited room for the, uh, for the um, NGOs. Um, another difference is that um, in the wake of this disaster, Uh, we don't see a lot of citizens' advocacy and activism. So in 2008, there was a very important advocacy that was from the liberal intellectuals and media to propose a national mourning for the Sichuan earthquake victims. That was historically unprecedented because it was the first time that the Chinese government mourned um, these Ordinary citizens instead of the leaders. But it was raised by the public sphere and accepted by the Chinese government. So it was a very touching and moving moment. And the Chinese government was widely praised, even by you know, overseas media. But this time we saw the spontaneous mourning for Dr. Li Wenliang, but the voices of advocacy were not as strong as those um, in the Sichuan earthquake. There was no advocacy for a national morning and the Chinese government actually didn't think about it. I saw somewhere posts to talk about uh, whistleblowing laws or something like that, but it wasn't responded by the Chinese um, government. So I guess part of the reason was that the heavier restrictions on the public sphere particularly on the public opinion since President Xi came into power. Um, Of course, media outlets like Caixin did a very good job in reporting this virus event, but no media now performed advocacy function in 2008. In 2008, if you still remember, uh, several media uh, actually played a very important role. Their columnists and their editors wrote um, op-eds and editorials to advocate for a lot of things. Uh, that, but that function now is, is basically gone. Um, Caixin is doing great reporting, but it's just reporting, not advocacy. Another thing, if you remember from 2008, was the activism organized by Ai Weiwei and the Zhuo-ren, who sent volunteers to the earthquake zone to collect the names and other information of the students who died in their own schools. But this time, we didn't see much activism, not even online activism for this. So I want to say this difference is somewhat disappointing. I believe that it is too early to say this is just one time thing or is it something in, in the long term will become a trend. But I believe that the trend of Chinese state becoming more and more restrictive on civil society is continuing, instead of, instead of pausing or stopping or uh, reversing. Uh, probably some of the measures used to respond to the virus, uh, such as the total control over the grassroots society, once the virus is gone, maybe those measures will exist or persist uh, in in the. The government's practices, monitoring citizens, you know, um, this control over the grassroots society may be the new normal.
0: I was wondering if you could summarize the Red Cross scandal, because I think a lot of Americans, if they heard that they're thinking of the American Red Cross and not necessarily understanding what the Red Cross is in China, and they don't have any context for that whole story.
1: So Red Cross is a quintessential example of a gongo which means the government-organized, non-governmental organization. An oxymoron, but in reality, many, many NGOs in China are Gongos. And the Red Cross was directly controlled by the Civil Affairs Ministry in in the central government and the civil affairs bureaus in local governments. And the Honorary President of the Red Cross of China is Vice Chairman of China, who is uh, Wang Qijian now. So it is part of the state system instead of outside of the state system. So it is interesting to see the Red Cross scandal, which actually started a long time ago, 12 years ago, 2008, after the Citadel earthquake. Lots of criticisms about their lack of transparency in terms of the number, you know, the amount of money they collected, how they use the money, and how they distribute the money. And later, it was the situation is getting worse, and people getting more and more critical about Red Cross, particularly after the Quo mei incident, uh, who was a sort of a you know a girl showing off her wealth online, but was suspected to having uh, to have a, a connections with one of the Red Cross high-level managers. Uh, but that was the Guomengba incident. And the trust the relationship between the Red Cross and the public quickly getting worse. And um, in this event, we saw similar scandals or even worse versions of the scandals um, about the Red Cross, not the central one, but the Hubei and the Wuhan one. So they basically stopped some of the donations. And also people are have questions about whether the donations and the materials actually go to the places where they're supposed to be. And because the hospitals and doctors and nurses are still carefully asking for more donations online, but, you know, we all know that millions of boxes have been delivered to Red Crosses. So there's a big question mark on this kind of practice. But on the other hand, um, people rarely notice that the Red Cross carried a lot of functions in China. They are the major agency to respond to all kinds of disasters. They have warehouses, um, they have other vehicles um, to respond to disasters. But it's just such a tiny agency carrying all kinds of functions, sometimes the functions um, actually overwhelm their uh, capacity in big disasters, which actually result in all the scandals. Of course, the lack of transparency is a problem, and it, there's no way for us to defend the red Cross. So the impacts of the red cost scandal is obvious. For example, now you see the number um, is significantly lower. <laughs> the donation to red Cross is just a minimum. And many people actually donate their money to private foundations, such as Han Hong, who's a singer, Han Hong's foundation, which actually got a lot of praises uh, from the public, and to Cixi, which is a, a Buddhist foundation based in Taiwan, but actively working in, in China as well. But on the other hand, it's mainly that this lack of funding, lack of donation Red Cross, has its unintended consequences, is to discourage donation, and to discourage also disaster response because Red Cross is still the major organization for disaster response. Without resources, they probably can, cannot do their work better. So I would say this is more like, it's a mutually reinforcing trend in this Red Cross scandal, uh, which it was unfortunate. I guess it is the time for the China Red Cross to reform itself, um, to be more transparent to the public to be more responsive to the public's criticisms, and also to reform its bureaucratic structures.
0: Have there been any calls to reform it from within the government? Or is this still mainly on social media and in public discourse, something that's being advocated for?
1: Yeah, the call for reform is mainly from the public sphere instead of the government. Because in the power structure within the Chinese government, the red cause is relatively powerless. It's mainly one of the so-called public institutions, in Chinese. Um, so it's, it's more like a, an agency affiliated with the government instead of one of the government bureaus. So I want to say many of the government officials actually don't care so much about red costs if there's no scandal going on. If there's a scandal and then you know, it's a red cost problem, not a government's problem. But usually the public perception is put too Together, the government and the Red Cross are pretty much the same thing. And they know know that it is the gongo, uh, and the gongo is supposed to be a state organization instead of an NGO. So this uh, scandal or previous cases of scandals have pretty bad uh, impact on the government's um, reputation and trust relationship with the public as well.
0: Do you think this will encourage true NGOs to try and occupy that space in civil society? Or do you think that the constraints that have been increasing on these non-government parties will prevent them from stepping up?
1: I think the scandal actually gives room for foundations like the Han Hong Foundation. And also uh, earlier is the Jet Li's One Foundation. Uh, to participate in disaster response, particularly in, at the moments where people have, you know, very low trust on the um, uh, red cross. And then Han Hong Kong made a case that we are transparent about pretty much everything. And once you donate to our foundation, I'll put it online, your name and stuff, and you can look for those information online. It's, it's all transparent where your money goes and where your donation goes, uh, is so clear online. And also in 2008, in Super Earthquake, I saw not, ju- not just those foundations, but also grassroots uh, groups, they actually played the f- uh, role of donation collectors. And they also tried to compete with the local Red Cross by being more transparent, being more responsive, being more active uh, in the public engagement. So I would say the Red Cross now is in a serious trouble. (laughs) Now you have to compete with all these foundations, which are more active and more responsive. And the staff members of those foundations and small groups, they work around the clock. And they don't have eight hours working time. Uh, They work for like 14 hours in those big disasters. So the Red Cross now really need to rebuild their reputation and the status uh, in the public sphere to regain the trust from the public sphere.
0: To learn more about the coronavirus and its impacts, visit us at ncuscr.org slash coronavirus or go to youtube.com slash ncuscr.